If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Proverbs chapter 16. These are the words of God. Verse 1, the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. Verse 9, the heart of man plants his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, we ask now that you'd be with us as we consider the truths from your word. As we look ahead to this coming year, we pray that you'd be with us. We pray that you would teach us. We pray that you would grow us. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Well, we're not quite back into our series in John, as you can probably uh, have probably um, surmised from my reading in Proverbs. Last week, we uh, did our end-of-the-year sermon, even though it was the first Sunday of the year. It was the Sunday after Christmas, and we always do the Sunday after Christmas, an end-of-the-year sermon where we look back at what God has done that year, and I name a bunch of God's blessings, God's gifts to us that year. And we do that as an exercise of learning to give thanks to God, marking those things out that God has done among us at least once a year to say, look, God did that. Did you see what he did there? Did you see what he did there? He has blessed our church immensely, and let's let's name those blessings and let's give him thanks for it. Well, generally, after that sermon, we also do a sermon, the next sermon, which is usually the first sermon of of the year, first Sunday of the year. We do a sermon where we look ahead. And uh, we look ahead at the the coming year, and we don't know all that God has in store for us this next year, but that doesn't mean we can't look ahead in anticipation for what is to come. Uh, We just read from Proverbs 16, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. That's verse 3. And then 16, verse 9, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Now, these verses give us godly wisdom when it comes to how we're to engage in thinking about and planning for what lies ahead of us. So first, planning for the future is a good thing. Jesus spoke about this in Matthew 14. He said, which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost? So it's a good thing for us to consider the future. It's, it's good and right for us to, to make plans, for us to work towards goals. But wisdom teaches us, and as we saw in Proverbs 16, wisdom teaches us that when we do so, We must do so with essential elements of humility and faith or dependence upon God. We plan and then we commit our work to the Lord. We recognize that while we make our plans, he's the one who establishes our steps. So we plan and we strive in humility knowing that none of it will bear fruit unless God causes it to do so. So we've come to the new year and I wanna help us to look ahead wisely this morning. Now, uh, my aim this morning isn't to give us a list of resolutions or goals for the next year, but it's more that I want us uh, to help us get in, we could say, to get in a right frame of mind as we begin the new year. Um, I mean to simplify for us how we face, how we think about the future and how we face what's in front of us. We could say, by the grace and help of God, what ought we to be striving for as we look ahead? 
As we look ahead at the year in front of us, what should we be striving for? What are some of the basic characteristics we will need in order to serve the Lord faithfully in 2023? Well, I think a good place to start is going back to what we covered last week. Last week, I I listed some of the wonderful gifts and blessings that God has given to us. And so it's right that after we list so many of the blessings of God, so many of the gifts of God to us in our lives, that we would follow that up after we give thanks to God for all those things, we would follow that up with this question. What ought we to do with them? He's given us all these blessings. He's given us all these gifts. What ought we now, how then ought we to live? What ought we to do with what God has given us? So he's given us many good gifts to be stewarded well. God has given each and every one of us many good gifts to be stewarded well. He's given our church many good gifts to be stewarded well. And that means, number one, that we're going to need a mind to work. We're going to need a mind to, to work. Second, because he's called us to live holy lives in Jesus Christ, we're going to need a heart to fight. And finally, since all that we have comes from the Lord, we're going to need voices that continuously give thanks to God the whole way. So first, a mind to work. When God gives us blessings, maybe you've never thought about this. I think it's actually, it's very simple, but it's very profound. When God gives us blessings, when God gives us gifts, he's giving us more than the gifts themselves. When he gives you a gift, he's giving you more than the gift itself, but also the responsibility to use what he gives you in a way that honors him. So for example, when he gives a married couple, a child, they're given not only... um, Uh, the gift of the child, but they're also given a stewardship. They're given the responsibility to raise that child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, as Ephesians 6 calls us to. And likewise, when God blesses a family with a new house, with a new house, they're given the stewardship of turning that house, turning that structure, that house into a home, to use it for the flourishing of their family, for hospitality to those on the outside. And we could say the same when God gives a church a building like he has ours. And this same principle, it applies to all the gifts that God gives his children. It applies to the spiritual gifts he's given to each member of the body. It applies to physical capabilities and skills. All of these things are to be seen as gifts from God, our creator and our redeemer, that come with a responsibility to use them in a way that brings honor to him in a way that brings about fruit, we could even say, by his grace. So this is illustrated for us in the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, where Jesus compares the kingdom to a master who gives money to his servants. He gives it to a number of different servants, and he gives money to them to to steward while he's gone, to invest while he's gone. And when the master returns, he looks to each servant for the interest that they had gained on what he had given to them. How did the servants put to use what he had given to them? How did they steward their portion in service to their master so that they could give a return to him? Now, what all this means is that when God gives us gifts, when God blesses us, what he's doing is he's not only blessing us, but he's putting us to work. And that's a good thing because in the very beginning, when God made man, one of the first things he does is he puts man to work. 
Now, some of us might be prone to think of work as, as a result of the fall or the curse of sin. We just long for the day when Jesus comes back when we don't have to work. But that's really faulty thinking because God, because work was part of God's original design, good design for man. God gave man work before the curse, before the fall, before sin had entered into the world. And that means work is a good thing. And so what we need as we look ahead is we need a mind to work, a readiness, a willingness to do the work that God has placed in front of us that came to us with the gifts that he's given to us. Now, we find that phrase, a mind to work, that's actually a biblical phrase. We find that in the book of Nehemiah, that phrase in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, in the Old Testament, Nehemiah was a cupbearer for the king of Persia. And while he was there and he was serving the king, Nehemiah heard a report from Jerusalem about how the, wall, how the walls had been torn down and how the city was in a state of disrepair. And so Nehemiah, the first thing he does when he hears this is he prays to the Lord and he asks for God's favor. He asks for God's help. He asks for God's, God to do something for his people. And then after Nehemiah prays, he goes to the king of Persia of this pagan nation and he asks the king to give him permission to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. Now God grants his prayer. The king says yes to Nehemiah. He gives him support. He lets him go. He, you know, um, actually supports him. And with that answer to prayer, when God answered Nehemiah's prayer that uh, the king would say yes, with that blessing came lots of work to do. So when Nehemiah gets to Jerusalem, he presents his case to the Jews who were living there, to the officials and to the priests. And we read in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said... Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened, they strengthened their hands for the good work. And then Nehemiah says in verse, chapter 4, verse 6, after they had built the wall. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. The people had a mind to work. So God answered Nehemiah's prayer to have the support of the king and to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And in so doing, God put Nehemiah and all of his people to work. And when they heard what God had done, the people strengthened their hands for, I love what, how it says it, the good work that God had placed in front of them. It's part of, part of our battle, isn't it? That we have to see that the work God has placed in front of us, whether it's doing dishes, changing diapers, or going to our employment, putting on roofs, right, uh, whatever, fixing cars, whatever it is, we have to see it as good work. So they saw it as good work, they strengthened their hands for it, and they had a mind to work. And in this way, we should pray, we should strive for this characteristic this year, to have a mind to work, strengthening our hands for the good work that God has placed before us. So then, let, me, let me ask you, what good work has God placed before you this year? If we're going to be faithful to the, to the Lord, what has he given us to faithfully steward? Have you considered that recently? Ask yourself, what work has God put before me this year? What bless, and, and if you're having a hard time, 
identifying it. You can identify the work that God has given you in this way. What blessings and gifts has he given to me? And then what good work do those blessings and gifts come with? So fathers and mothers, let let me just uh, address some of you and help you work through this. Fathers and mothers, God has given you the gift of children. And so with that gift, he has put in your lap all kinds of wonderful work. I mentioned some of it already. Changing diapers, all the way to reading bedtime stories, walking lessons, to math lessons, to driving lessons, yikes. Fixing meals, moms, to fixing bikes, dads, right? To fixing bad attitudes, to teaching obedience, to training in Christian virtues, to leading family devotions and executing household chores. It's a lot of work. And it is good work that God has put in your hands to do as unto the Lord. Now, family work isn't the only work, and children aren't the only gifts from God. Some of you have grown children and none left at home anymore. And that doesn't mean that God intends for you to be idle this year. He's given you other gifts to be stewarded in this season of your life. So if you have grown kids, then that means you have experience that many in this church do not yet have. And guess what? That is a gift from God that God requires you to steward well. How are you going to use that gift to serve the body of Christ that God has placed you in? Now, maybe you're single and you're going to school or you're working your job, trying to establish yourself in your career. And whether you want to be married right now or not, whether you like your job or not, God has still given you gifts to be stewarded for the sake of Christ's kingdom. So if you have a job, that's a gift from God, and that work is to be seen not just as work that your boss gave you, but work that God has put in your hands. And it's likely that if you're single, you have less responsibilities at home than you would if you were married with kids, which means you may have more time on your hands that God has given you to use wisely. That's a gift from God. So how are you going to put that gift this year to use? What work can you put your hands to that will grow you in the faith or will benefit the body of Christ around you? So we can ask that question individually. What good work has God placed before me this year? But we can also ask that question together as a church body, can't we? Because God has blessed our congregation with a building and with many other good gifts that have come from his hand. And with those gifts come what? comes lots of work. And that work includes things like vacuuming the carpets, cleaning the toilets. All of you who are in CGs, community groups, know, know well about that, right? Comes with things like helping in nursery, teaching Sunday school, making coffee, playing an instrument, greeting new faces, doing sound or slides, cooking food, setting up tables and chairs, or even just being here early on Sunday morning to attend and participate in a class. Now, all of that and more we need to see is good work that God has given to us. And because it's good work that God has given to us, we need to do it as unto the Lord. The building that he has given to us is a tool for ministry, so we're to put this gift to good use for things like Christian worship, Christian discipleship and education, hospitality and evangelism, 
And in each of these areas, we could say there is plenty of work in all of those areas. Now, this is a good opportunity for me to talk about our Sunday school hour. One of the plans that the elders have for this year is to run regular Sunday school, um, adult and kids Sunday school class through the school year. And so the hour before our, before our worship, we have Sunday school. And the hope is that this hour would serve to equip each of our members with practical and biblical training in things like marriage and parenting, things like evangelism and apologetics, things like theology and church history. This morning, Jake started a class on healthy homes, which covers things like God's design for men and women, for marriage, for parenting. And classes like these, are uh, what they're meant to do is they're meant to prepare us and equip us for the good work that God has given for us to do. Now, I realize that not all our church is married with kids, but we have to recognize that a large percentage of our congregation is. And so think about this. A significant part of the work that call, God is calling many of us to do is the work of husbandry, wiffery. Is that how you say it? Wiffery. Being a godly husband, let's do it that way. Being a godly wife, the work of a father, the work of a mother in the home. And so, listen, our elders actually have the responsibility to equip you for the work of ministry that God has given to you. That's what the scriptures say. What do the elders do? They're to equip the body for the work of the ministry. Guess what? If you're a father, if you're a mother, a large part of the ministry God has given to you, a big chunk of the ministry that God has given to you, is the home ministry. Fathers, husbands, it's being a godly father or godly husband to your wife. It's being a godly father to your kids. It's leading your homes well. And I could say this, you know, similar to, to wives. God has given you that job. God has given you that ministry, that responsibility. So, um, our elders have the responsibility to equip you for the work of ministry that God has given you. And this is why, by the way, Jake sent out that family worship plan for this year. You know, it's not that we're saying, you've got to use this plan. This is the one and only plan. But we want to give you resources and tools that help you do the work that God has called you to do. So fathers, for example, with, with family worship, fathers, God has called you to lead in the home. God has called you to be the leader of your home. So we want to encourage you to lead your homes and to lead your homes by reading scripture, by praying, by catechizing your children with the truth of God's word. That's a lot of work, but it's good work. And by the way, if, if you want, uh, out on the, the table out there, on the, on the book table, there are the catechism books that are included in that family worship plan. Even if you don't use the family worship plan that Jake gave you, I encourage you to use the catechism books. They're excellent from Founders Ministry. They're excellent books for trading our children in the truth. Now, going back to our Sunday morning classes, I mentioned not all of them are going to be specific to marriage and parenting. In the spring, we're going to be ha having a class, Lord willing, on how, um, how the church recognized which books belonged in the New Testament, so a class on New Testament canon. After that, we're considering a class on personal evangelism. And so um, there's going to be more classes coming, and, and the point of those classes, again, is to equip us for doing the work that God has given to us. And now, as well, for those who are newer to our church, this next week, we're going to be having the intro class, Intro to Waukesha City Church. That's going to be happening during the Sunday school hour. That is a class on our core beliefs about God, man, salvation. 
So if you've been attending our church for a while and you haven't gone to that class, I want to encourage you to do so. Come and participate in that. But all of this highlights the fact that there's plenty of work that God has given to us individually and collectively. And as we seek to steward the gifts that God has given us and set our minds to work, we can pray, God, strengthen our hands for the work you've given us. Cause our efforts to be honoring to you. Cause them to bear much fruit for your kingdom. Now, so I said a mind to work, but with a mind to work, we also need something else that's related to that. We also need rest. Because just like work was part of God's good design from the beginning, so was rest part of God's good design from the beginning. The creation rhythm was six days of work and one day of rest. And you know, part of the purpose for that, uh, God's purpose for man in that, was that we would be guarded from trusting in our own strength. That we, rest guards us from trusting our, in our own strength, trusting in our own abilities, trusting in our own accomplishments. So the weekly Sabbath was to set a rhythm for God's people of work and rest. Now we know this, we know that our bodies need rest. Right? We know that. But it's more than just our bodies need rest and our minds need rest. But we also need rest because it interrupts our work. We also need rest because it interrupts our work to remind us that unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, build it, labor in vain. We need a mind to rest because God didn't say, rest when you feel like it. And some of us don't feel like it. Some of us never feel like resting. And that's actually a hint that you really do need it. You need a mind to work, but also a mind to rest. So we gather every Lord's Day to celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and to rest in his work on our behalf. Our Sunday morning worship is a practice of that biblical rest. We come here, we sing songs, we sing our praises to the triune God saying, should nothing of our efforts stand no legacy survive unless the Lord does raise the house. In vain its builders strive. So if there's only work and there's no rest, then we're striving in vain because we've shown that really our faith is not in God who alone can establish the work of our hands. Instead, our faith is in our own hands. So we need a mind to rest. The intention to set aside time in our week to praise the Lord for his provision, for his goodness, to rest in his grace. And especially then to guard Sunday mornings as a time when we do that together. Fathers, I spoke of leading the home. One of the most important things of you leading your home is bringing your family to church on Sunday morning to rest in the goodness of God, to praise God for his work, to be reminded that everything depends upon the Lord, that our faith is in him. So what that weekly rhythm of rest does is it, it infuses our work with rest because it grounds us, our trust in the Lord, not in our own abilities, in our own strength. Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain, unless the Lord watches over the city. A watchman stays awake in vain. So the mind to rest and the mind to work and the mind to rest, but also, I said, a heart to fight. Now by a heart to fight, I don't mean that we should be contentious and combative on our social media accounts. Let's just start fighting people. No, no. Nor do I mean a heart to fight for our own personal desires and personal dreams. 
That's not what I'm talking about. When I say a heart to fight, I'm referring to the spiritual battle that we're engaged in. Paul says to Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, 11, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue, we could say strive for. Listen, that's not legalism. That is what, how the Bible speaks. Should we strive for things? Yes, we should. Listen to what the scripture says. Pursue, strive for righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. That good fight of faith is the pursuit of righteousness and faithfulness to all that God is calling us to. And so we need the heart to fight, to fight for joy in Christ Jesus and in the goodness of God and his commands and his grace, both his commands and his grace, the goodness of those things. It isn't just what we're fighting for, but also what we're fighting against as well. We need a courageous and a joyful resistance to three things, to the passions of our flesh, to the way of the world, and to the works of the devil. Titus 2.11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Now, one of the temptations that we face, you and I face, is to have a heart of compromise instead of a heart to fight. We want ease. We want comfort instead of faithfulness and godliness. So we look for ways to compromise with our sin. We look for ways to compromise with the upside-down morals of secularism and to compromise with the lies of the devil. And so when it comes to those things, as Christians, what we need is a no-compromise policy. Christ is Lord, and he's Lord of all. He's Lord of all. So whatever contradicts or tries to subvert his lordship in our lives must be fought against. What do we fight against? Anything that, tries to con- con- that contradicts or tries to submit, sub- subvert the lordship of Jesus Christ, we must fight against. We must be willing to reject lies inside and lies out. We must be willing to denounce sin and resist temptation in our own hearts, in our own lives, as we joyfully and courageously denounce the the, the many celebrated sins of our culture. Now, there are a number of disciplines that God has given to us to equip us and to strengthen us for this fight. One of those is prayer. This is why the Apostle Paul says in the New Testament that we are to pray without ceasing. So one of the things, if we're going to have a heart to fight this year, that means we're going to need a whole lot of prayer. A number of other disciplines that God has given us are centered around God's Word. Reading His Word, meditating on His Word, memorizing His Word, listening to His Word. Listen, God's word is like ammunition for the fight. You're not going to fight without ammunition. You need the ammunition. God's word is the ammunition. His word is like the food that strengthens you for the battle. You won't be able to get up and fight if you haven't eaten. It's the balm that heals our wounds. You'll be wounded and you won't be able to fight at all because you'll be nursing your wounds with a salve that does nothing with a balm that does nothing for them if you aren't in his word. His word is like the balm that heals your wounds. It's the antidote 
for the poisonous lies that we've fallen for. We need that antidote. We need his word. It's the corrective lenses. Listen, it's the corrective lenses that clarifies our vision, gives our vision clarity so we see things as they actually are. It's the seed that when you put it into the soil of your life produces a bountiful harvest. So we need God's word. We need to be in God's word. This is why we're encouraging our congregation to have a Bible reading plan for this year. Because as Jake mentioned when he sent out the message with the Bible reading plan that he sent out, we are a people of, Christians are a people of the book. God has spoken to us in his word, revealing all that we need for life and godliness, all that we need for the fight. So that means we need to be in the book. You can use the plan that Jake sent out. There are printed ones on the, on the table back there that we printed that you can grab. Or if you want, you can use your own plan. We're not saying you have to use that plan. You can use your own plan. But have a plan for regular reading of Scripture. Have a weekly plan for being in God's Word. I challenge you today to do that this year. You're not going to fight the good fight if you're not in the good book. Now, just as with work, there's also another side of the coin when it comes to fighting. Remember, there was another side of the coin when it came to work, rest. There's also another side of the coin when it comes to fighting. Because the Christian life is more than just fighting. It's also a a life of delighting in the goodness of God, right? The Christian life, it can't just all be fighting. It must also be delighting. It must also be enjoying the good gifts that God has given to us. And since enjoying and delighting don't start with F and fighting starts with F, we're not going to go with those. We're going to go with feasting. So not only do we need a heart to fight, but we need a heart to feast. Now, you might wonder, when I say feast, if I'm speaking in spiritual terms or or in a literal manner, and the answer is yes, I am, both. In this regard, feasting is actually a lot like resting. Think about it. Whenever we're trusting in God's goodness and grace, we are, in a way, resting. But there is also a physical act of rest and worship that coincides with the heart that is at rest. And so it is the same with feasting. Feasting is the collective enjoyment of the bounty of God's good gifts in a way that increases our delight in God himself. That's what feasting is. And so the literal feast, the act of gathering around good food, gathering around good drink that God that has come to us by way of God's good hand, is the practice that coincides with hearts that celebrate the goodness of our God and enjoy his good gifts that he's given us. And like the necessary components of work and rest, so too God's people need this potent mix. It is a potent mix of fighting and feasting. You're not going to do it this year if you only have work and you don't have rest. And likewise, you're not going to honor the Lord this year if you only have fighting and you don't have feasting. So as we fight the good fight of faith, because listen, when we fight the good fight of faith, what are we doing? We're denying the fleeting pleasures of sin. What are we doing when we're feasting? We're seeking to enjoy delight in the good gifts that God has given to us to be delighted in, to be enjoyed. So a heart to feast is a heart that's eager to enjoy Christian fellowship 
around what God has given to us to enjoy, to the praise of his goodness and to the praise of his grace. We say it all comes, as we're enjoying it, we say it all comes from him. What a good God he is. The Christian life is not the life of the ascetic. It's not the life of just don't taste, don't touch, don't smell, don't hear, don't see. Oh, there's fighting. But there's also feasting because our God is a good God. And our God has given us good gifts. Those gifts are to be enjoyed to his glory in a way that increases our love and delight in the giver. There's nothing that fuels Christian fellowship quite like an actual literal feast too, isn't there? Good food, good drink, to savor in the presence of the Lord together. Now listen, this isn't my idea. You say, well, this sounds good, Chuck, but where are you getting all this? Actually, this goes all the way back to the Old Testament. This goes all the way back to the law. Listen, this goes all the way back to a place that you would have never guessed. You would have never guessed, the tithe. Do you know this goes back to the tithe? Did you know? Maybe you did. And that's okay if you did. But if you didn't, I'm really excited to tell you. Did you know in the tithe, when God's people were called to give a tenth of, what, of, of their harvest, did you know a portion of that was to be set aside for them to enjoy together in Jerusalem? Listen, listen to Deuteronomy chapter 14. This is amazing. This is where the feast began. Well, we, it, I, I should probably correct that. It probably began back in the garden, but, but you know what I'm saying. Listen, Deuteronomy chapter 14. Verse 22, you shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. And before the Lord your God, listen, before the Lord your God, in other words, God's presence is with his people when they gather to feast. In the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there, you shall eat the tithe of your grain and of your wine and of your oil and the firstborn of your herd and flock that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. And if the way is too long for you so that you're not able, not able to carry the tithe when the Lord your God blesses you because the place is too far for, from you, which the Lord your God has chosen to set his name there, then you shall turn it into money and bind up the money in your hand and go to the place that the Lord your God chooses and spend the money for whatever you desire. Oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink, whatever your appetite craves, and you shall eat there before the Lord your God and what? And rejoice, you and your household, the feast of God's people. Feasting on the goodness of God and his gifts in the presence of God. Now, one of my prayers for our church this last year and this year is that we would experience sweet Christian fellowship in this building that God has given to us at tables set with delicious food and drink that we recognize came to us by God's hand are given, have been given to us to enjoy to the glory of God that every year we would grow in our enjoyment of his good gifts in a way that increases our praise and our joy in him. Oh, he's a good God, isn't he? He gives us good work, doesn't he? And he gives us good gifts to enjoy together, doesn't he? Now, whatever God puts on our literal or proverbial tables this year, whether it is a morsel or a feast, we also need voices that unceasingly give thanks to God for it all and in it all. Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. 
Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whenever there is a blessing given to us by God, there is the stewardship of that blessing, there is the enjoyment of that blessing, and there is the opportunity to give God the thanks and the praise for it. And so as we begin this new year, and ask the Lord for a mind to work and a heart to fight and feast, a mind to work and rest, a heart to fight and feast, we dare not forget voices that give thanks always and for everything to the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Teach us, O Lord, to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. And O Lord, establish the work of our hands upon us this year. Yes, we ask that you would establish the work of our hands all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and for all time. And amen.